So our first sponsor for this week's podcast is Hero Cosmetics, and they make these amazing little acne patches that basically just disappear into your skin. So they sent me over some of their Mighty Patches, the original and invisible, and I basically just put them on on a pimple that's really ready to come to the surface. So a little white head, they absorb all of the gunk from your zits. Gross, but very effective, and they basically just disappear into your skin. It's like putting a dot of concealer on top of your skin. Now I'm really excited to try their other products that they have on their website like the Micropoint for blemishes and for dark spots. So those seem really exciting. They're also extremely affordable compared to other patches that might be doing the same thing. So they're about $12.99 for 36 to 39 patches. And if you spend $25 or more on their website, you get free shipping in the United States. So definitely go to herocosmetics.com and use the code WHITECOAT15 to get 15% off your purchase. The second podcast sponsor that we have is Personal Revolution Podcast. Have you ever been stuck inside one Wondering how to take charge of your life? Is there something that you want to do that you really want to do, but you haven't been able to do it just yet? This podcast, Personal Revolution, is made by bestselling author and life coach, Allison Task, and she's going to help you take control of your life with inspiration and humor. So this is super exciting. So if you guys want to hear more about this podcast and how it's going to help you out, then stay tuned till the end, and I'll be playing a little trailer from her podcast at the very end of this episode. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Brown Girl White Coat Podcast. My name is Sai, like a sigh of relief, and I'm a third year medical student at Baylor College of Medicine. And I'm so happy to be sitting here recording this podcast and talking to you guys today. So we have a really exciting guest today, and it's part of the series that I'm doing on the show to kind of expose you guys to different medical specialties and expose you guys to different healthcare and adjacent careers to getting a traditional MD degree. So before I introduce the guest for this particular episode, I just wanted to remind you guys to go ahead and follow my Instagram at Cybear, S-A-I-E-B-E-A-R, and the podcast Instagram at Brown Girl White Coat Pod. And if you can, and if you have a second, if you have any time, please rate and review us on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts. And you can go ahead and follow the show to be updated whenever there's a new episode out on Spotify. So that really helps us out, gets us on charts and important things like that so and I love to read your reviews too so please go ahead and do that if you have a second Um, but to kind of intro today's guest we're sitting down with Ash she's a second year podiatry student at Temple School of Podiatric Medicine we talk about everything from her kind of unconventional journey into podiatric medicine and she talks about the ups and downs and we talk about self-care our morning routines and the pursuit of constant self-improvement so we talk a little bit about study tips and how routines help us function in school and all the things we love to do outside of school too so if you're interested in any anything to do with podiatry if you're interested in medical school and you're looking for another career path possibly this is the episode for you i'm really excited to sit down with her and before we get into the episode i thought it would be cool to teach you guys a little bit about podiatry and a bread and butter case in podiatry so that you guys can get a good idea of maybe a case, a patient case that you might see at the hospital if you become a podiatric student or if you become a podiatrist in the future. So today we're going to talk about diabetic foot ulcers, right? A very attractive topic, but diabetes is a huge thing in the United States and you're probably going to get a lot of patients with diabetes, whether it's in internal medicine, whether it's in family medicine and you're managing a patient's diabetes long-term or whether you see it in the emergency room and maybe the this patient is not on any medications and or can't afford any medications and you see signs of diabetes retinopathy uh neuropathy 
You see these things in the emergency room as well, and that might not even be their major concern. So I think this is a really important topic, and let's get into talking about it. So this information that I'm using for this segment comes from Medscape and UpToDate. So diabetic foot ulcers can be the result of three different things. It can be the result of peripheral neuropathy, which is usually true, and it is uh, one of the greatest risk factors of diabetes mellitus. It can be changes in the mechanical uh, conformation of the bony architecture of the foot, and it can also be involving or a result of atherosclerotic peripheral arterial disease. So all of these things, the diabetic population is at higher risk for. If you guys would like to understand the pathophysiology of diabetes some more, I would recommend just doing a quick Google or watching a osmosis video on YouTube about that. So the greatest risk of an untreated foot ulcer in a diabetic patient is limb loss and you don't want that to happen to any of your patients so you definitely want to start treatment and engage your patient in treatment right away um, and as soon as you find out what it is personally whenever i have a patient that is a little bit older and has diabetes i will always do a full neuro exam on them and that's just something that i personally do um because a an attending had told me one time that that's how they caught you know neuropathic pain in a in a diabetes patient. If the patient feels tingling in the feet or can't feel their feet, obviously they're going to expose their foot to more mechanical stress. They're not going to feel that pain, that protective response that tells you to pull away from a hot floor or tells you to pull away from something that could be a mechanical stress to your foot. In diabetic people with neuropathy, even if you successfully treat your patient and it results in healing of the foot ulcer, the recurrence rate is about 66% and the amputation rate after that rises to 12%. So this is something you really want to treat. In a patient with neuropathy, one of the main concerns for the risk of mortality in your patient is going to be ischemic heart disease. So just a quick little thing on treatment. You should always, you know, take a look at the ulcer and use guidelines that are available in your hospital to grade this ulcer, see what kind of um, depth it has. So for a relatively superficial ulcer that has limited soft tissue infection, which is considered pretty mild, you're going to clean the ulcer and all of the necrotic tissue and all of the surrounding callus um, is going to be debrided as well. Then you're going to start empiric oral antibiotic therapy. Um, so this would target things like staph aureus or streptococci, unless you know that there's other pathogens involved. Um, you can always send out a culture, but you definitely want to do empiric antibiotic therapy first. For a rather deep ulcer or something that's extensive and you're concerned about limb loss, relatively moderate or severe infection, you might want to intervene surgically to remove the necrotic tissue and see if it has infected any bone that's surrounding it. These situations are very urgent, so you want to evaluate and you want to release the compartment pressure so they don't get compartment syndrome um, and you want to drain any abscesses that might be involved as well. So then you're going to assess them for peripheral artery disease, which is probably pretty common in people with diabetes um, and this is going to involve urgent treatment as well if they do have PAD that includes revascularization um, then obviously empiric broad-spectrum antibiotics as well that are going to be aimed at more broad pathogens so common gram-positive gram-negative bacteria obligate anaerobes um, you're going to a pretty big uh, broad spectrum to just cover everything. So um, as you get cultures and sensitivity back, we can um, adjust the antibiotic regimen a little bit more and get more specific with that um, as the cultures come back. Further wound care is pretty complicated and pretty subjective based on what the ulcer and the results um, of a healing ulcer looks like. You could have dry wounds, exudative wounds, 
very exudative wounds, things that are still infected, um, wounds that are covered by eschar. Eschar? Don't know how you pronounce that, but it's kind of like a black um, covering, a black, very dry, scaly covering. You might be wanting to treat them with PDGF or platelet-derived growth factors. You might want to promote wound healing in that way. So wound care is a very subjective art form depending on what the ulcer eventually looks like. So I hope you guys have a little bit of a better idea of something that might be kind of bread and butter for podiatry. They treat the foot and ankle and any of the associated illnesses or sequelae of chronic illnesses like diabetes, high blood pressure, things like that can show up um, in many forms and can affect the foot and ankle. So I hope you guys understand a little bit more about, you know, diabetic foot ulcers and let's get into this episode because it's super interesting, less sciencey and more lifestyle-y. So let's go on over and talk to my guest today. Ash. Hey guys. So I'm sitting down with Ash today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I've already introed your episode, so everyone knows what this is all about. Um, so we're going to get right into the segment so we can get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Cool. Okay. So the first segment I do is called setting the record straight. I'm going to give you three different statements and you can say if they're true or false and just give us a little bit of your take on it. Sounds good. Okay, so the first one is, I have time to have a life in podiatry school. I think that's definitely true. I think that, like, what you want to make time for, you will make time for. And, you know, by no means is that, like, super simple and easy, and there's a secret formula for it. But I think, like, in general, the mantra for me is, like, what I want to do, I will make time for. Yeah, it's all about priorities and time management, all that stuff. Totally. Okay, number two, podiatry school is totally different from medical school. That's like so in between because I think some people have a misconception that like, oh, podiatry school, like all you're going to learn about is the lower extremity or like just the foot and ankle, which is crazy because obviously the foot and ankle are attached to your body, (laughs) you know, so you have to learn about the, you know, all the different systems and of course like you know, a lot of different pathologies and like chronic illnesses do manifest in, in your feet, you know, so you really do have to learn about the entire body. So I would say that that's like 20% true because you do focus on like the foot and ankle mostly naturally, because that's what we like decided to do to go into podiatry. But I would say like in generally, like it's, it's almost exactly the same uh, in terms of your didactic years. And then in your rotations, you would rotate specifically in like you know, subspecialties of podiatry. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to get more into that because I have a lot of questions personally too. So that'll be exciting. Um, okay. Number three, I would recommend podiatry to a pre-med student. A hundred percent. It's seriously the best decision I think I've ever made. And I'll get into more of it later. Um, of course, but like, you know, I definitely, I didn't know about it until I got into my gap year and, you know, from all the things I've learned about it, it's like, it's such an awesome profession. It, it affords you like such a great lifestyle. You get to go in kind of knowing exactly what you're getting into. And, you know, you, at the end of the day, you're going to be a, a physician and you're going to be, you know, working in the, in the healthcare system. You wanted to doing the same things and the same reasons why, you know, I thought I had wanted to go to, you know, an MD or a DO school before. And you still get to get all of that. Plus like, you know, getting to do surgeries and procedures and, you know, it's just, it's an awesome lifestyle. And that, that was really important to me going into, you know, choosing what I wanted. Like, what is my lifestyle going to be when, you know, ultimately I am practicing? 
Totally. Yeah. I'm going through the same decision right now. Like you have already chosen a specialty (laughs) in medicine and I'm like still kind of like figuring that out. So I'm like lifestyles at the top of my list right now. I'm like, this is so important to me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll definitely get more into it later because I want to hear about like your thought process of how you choose a specialty too, once you've kind of seen it all. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into talking a little bit about you. I was so happy when you reached out to me because I haven't done an episode on podiatry before, and this is something people should hear about. Totally. Like, I really love your podcast. I think that's awesome what you're doing with, you know, all of your platforms, especially with your Instagram. And I noticed like you have a, like a skincare one too. (laughs) And I love skincare. So I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is really cool. And you know, it's like when I was applying to podiatry schools and, you know, just learning about it, like there was really close to nothing online about, you know, from a student's perspective, what is it? What is the experience like, you know, and, you know, is it, is it medical school? Is it not, you know, all these different questions that it's kind of intimidating to reach out to a practicing podiatrist and ask these like, kind of like, you know, emotional questions about like, how did you feel in school? You know? And I feel like that's kind of the biggest reason why, like I started writing a blog, which is kind of like why I made my Instagram and then ultimately reached out to you was to like, you know, you know, a huge mission of that is to kind of advocate for podiatry, especially among like younger pre-med students and like, you know, your freshman, sophomore year of college. Cause again, again, like I didn't even learn about it until my gap year. And I think that like, if I had known about it, earlier on, it probably could have saved me a lot of, you know, like turmoil and like (laughs) deciding, you know, what I wanted to do and like, you know, and obviously going to med school, it's not just a easy decision and easy steps, you know, you have to go through a lot, like taking the MCAT and doing, you know, all the essays and all that. So that was a big mission. And I think that, you know, advocating that, advocating for this, like through things like your podcast are a great way to get the word out. Yeah, definitely. So let's just get to know you a little bit more. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey into podiatry? Yeah, definitely. So I'm from Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, like a suburb. Um, I went to the University of Georgia for my undergrad. And, you know, that was such an awesome experience. UGA is like a huge, you know, Southern state school. And it was a lot of fun. Like you get to see people from like all different walks of life doing all different kinds of things. And I loved that, you know, I had that real like, like, you know, stereotypical, like, college town, big football games, Greek life kind of experience. But, you know, I did, I did always come into college kind of knowing that I want to do medicine. And at the time, you know, you kind of come in with these, like, you know, a little bit, like, ignorant mindset in medicine. There's, like, doctors and there's nurses, you know, and you don't, and I didn't really know, honestly, that much more about, like, what other professions are out there. And so, kind of going through college, I, I was, like, you know, involved in like so much and I, you know, I was trying to do well in my classes and I was always like, I was definitely had that like type A, you know, overachieving kind of mentality that I think was, you know, it's good, but, and, but at the same time, like, because UGA was so big and there were so many people also doing, you know, pre-med and wanting to go to medical school, like that really was, you know, fostered like a huge competitiveness because it's not like you're, you know, you're seeing like, so many different types of people who are trying to do the exact same thing that you are. And, you know, you realize like coming from high school, like where, oh, I might've been like this, you know, relatively smart person and you go to college and there are, now there are a lot of smart people and there are a lot of people who are going to be better at things than you are, you know? And so I think that like, 
I really, really just did a little too much in college and that definitely burnt me out pretty fast. And I think that like, that was obviously a really like, and we can get into more of this later, but like, you know, those, that was a really important thing for me to learn at the time that like, okay, like, you know, you, you know, you came into college just kind of like knowing you wanted to do this one thing, but you have to like reevaluate, you know, kind of all the time, like, but why am I doing it? And remind myself, why am I doing this? And that like, you know, doing a million extracurriculars and trying to do like, you know, get the best grade in every class isn't, isn't the point, you know, it really, you have to remind yourself these things that I'm doing are teaching me life lessons rather than just being like things I'm putting on my resume to look good for said school. And so I feel like when I just really kind of like hit me like a ton of bricks, it's just like, you know, immense amounts of anxiety about like, I, I wasn't doing as well as I knew I could. And I was just like, why am I even doing this? any you know, again, I couldn't, I needed to take a step back and really like reevaluate, like, you know, these are the reasons I want to go into medicine. And, you know, there, and then you kind of realize like there are a lot of ways you can do that. That's not just through MD, DO, being a nurse, being a PA, you know, it's like, there's so many ways you can do it. And to really, really like think critically about like what's going to make me like happy in long-term in my life, you know, and that's not just always about being the best and being number one, you know, like you have to really, really think about it in the, in like the perspective and in the lens of your own life. And, uh, but anyway, sorry, I'm kind of going on to rant about that. No, that's okay. I think everyone can relate to that, right? Like, especially pre-med culture. I don't know what it was like at UGA, but at Baylor, it was a little bit cutthroat. Yeah. Like everyone, if you saw someone having a research opportunity, you were like, oh my gosh, like I need to get research tomorrow. So competitive. And then you get to med school. And I think I mean, obviously it's, people are very competitive in med school as well, but it's, it's a little bit died down because everyone's interested in their own specialties. They're doing, you know, what makes them happy because they want to go into a particular specialty. You feel less competition. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that like when you finally like do get into med school, like, you know, by no means does that like, there's a stress fade away, but it is definitely a better kind of stress. I totally agree because like, you kind of feel that like comfort of like, okay, well, I'm here, like, as long as I put in my all and I do relatively fine, like, I'm going to be a physician, you know, and there's less of that, like, am I going to make it, you know, <laughs> kind of like mentality that's an undergrad that's, you know, just, it's so difficult as like a, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old, just thinking like, you know, every little decision you make might or might not affect like, you know, the rest of your life. So I think that I totally agree that once you kind of get into your like professional school of choice, like that that kind of assurance of being like, okay, like I'm here, I made it. I have to remember that I'm here for a reason. They chose me for a reason. And that like imposter syndrome is is so real and like everyone feels it, but you really do just have to believe that you deserve to be here and that you like deserve to succeed as long as like, you know, you've been putting on in your all, you know? Definitely. And, but yeah, so basically after like college, you know, kind of going through a lot of those like huge life lessons, things that I needed to reevaluate and kind of like slap back into myself. You know, then I ultimately decided once I was kind of ready to take my MCAT that I was, you know, kind of in like the biggest pit of like all my stress and anxiety. And I was like, I just can't do this. It was my junior year. And I decided that, you know, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to push this back a little because there's like no point of me going into this exam, you know, with like a, with this kind of mindset, I just know I'm not going to do as well as I, as I can, because I was just like, not, not feeling my best. And I think that was also, it's like, that was such a great, like serendipitous moment because without me having taken a gap year, like 
um, where I actually worked as a, like a medical assistant and a scribe for a pediatric ophthalmologist. So at this, at this point, like I was still, you know, thinking like I'm applying to MD and DO schools. I know I want to be a physician. I know I want to do like something, you know, with procedures and surgery and to specialize in something. That's all I kind of knew at that point. Yeah. And um, so ultimately, you know, I pushed my MCAT back and I ended up having to like take it twice. And I was working in that year. And, you know, that's when like my parents, my parents have never really like pushed me into anything, which I think was such a blessing. And they kind of saw the way that I was feeling and like my attitude. They're like, you know, you don't want to go into anything not feeling like happy to be there having that kind of motivation as to like, again, like remembering why you're doing what you're doing. And they're like, why don't you just shadow like a bunch of different kinds of people in healthcare and just kind of get a taste of like what's out there. You know, you kind of work really hard towards this one goal. And, and ultimately podiatry was thankfully like all the same um, requirements, but you, you know, so I shadowed like nurses, I shadowed a physical therapist, I shadowed, you know, just a bunch of people. And like, I ultimately got connected with a podiatrist um, just like through family friends. And I didn't even really know that like podiatry was its own school. I thought that it's like a specialty that you go into after met after medical school. It's just something that, you know, after like normal, um, like MD and DO schools. And that's when she was like, definitely no, that's not, that's not it at all. <laughs> and she really introduced me into like the whole world of like, yeah, you know, what kind of, what podiatry schools are out there, like, you know, all the requirements were the same for medical school. And I kind of ended up, you know, as I was working as a scribe, like just also shadowing her on some days, uh, the podiatrist on some days. And like, you know, I loved her, her attitude. I feel like I hadn't really met that many physicians in life. And this might've just been circumstance, but like that were like just so like really, really happy about what they chose and like how to, you know, go lifestyle. She was, you know, obviously like a woman and she had a family and time for her family life and time to do things outside of her job. And, you know, just like was so open to like teaching me. I just hadn't had that kind of connection and like that kind of mentorship from a physician before, even though I had shadowed a bunch of people, you know, and, um, and so like, I think, you know, the, the people who you shadow, really do make a difference in like whether you're going to be interested in that and because you know if you kind of have like a like a tough situation and that kind of does like taint your view of a certain totally. you know thing so but anyway so after that that's what kind of like led me to applying to high school and totally my gap year like completely last minute as I was also applying to like MD and DO schools because like I said thankfully it was just the same requirements and and yeah so I just finished my first year I moved up to Philly um, from Atlanta and yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I'm super happy that I chose, chose this. So, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the application requirements are the same, um, for medical school. So you took the MCAT and that was, um, the admissions test for podiatry school as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then are there any like majors per se that people should try to do in undergrad to increase their chances to get into podiatry school? Um, I like, this is just my personal opinion, but I always say, I don't think it matters. I always say like, do what you want to do. Like I'm a big advocate for you. Like as long as you're getting your pre-med requirements in, obviously like major in what you want, what you're interested in, like, and, and to be truly interested in that, like don't just major in biology or biochemistry because you think it's going to like look good for med school or podiatry school or dental school. Like I just, I really think that the biggest difference is when like, you know, you can, when you go into that interview and you're talking to them about like why you were a 
dance major, for example, you know, like if you can speak about that with like real conviction and like really eloquently, like that's what makes the biggest difference. I don't think that like being a science major is the golden standard. <laughs> totally. So what are the requirements to get into a good school? Like, are there, do you have to have, you know, the same kinds of clinical experience? Do you have to have specifically podiatry experience? Can you talk more about that? Yeah, definitely. So all the requirements, like classes wise, are the same for medical school. Like, you know, all your general bios and chems and organic chemistry, all that. Um, Same for the MCAT. Uh, They do generally require like lower MCAT scores, which is, that's pretty nice. And um, in terms of clinical experience, I think that all clinical experience is valuable, but I, but you do have to shadow a podiatrist to apply. Like you have to have a recommendation letter from a podiatrist. But I think that like generally, I, I think that, like I said, all clinical experience is valuable. I did a couple of things that I got asked a lot about in my interviews um, that were abroad. Like I did this uh, clinical internship in Thailand, like one of my summers in college. And it was awesome. I got it like funded through a grant through my school. And I got to just like rotate through different specialties in, um, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, through like emergency medicine, family medicine, dermatology, all these different things. And it was, you know, really cool to talk about that experience, not only through like its clinical aspect, but also just like learning about a new culture, going there completely on my own. It wasn't through like anything with my school. So I just... I went there with a completely like open mindset. Like I have no idea how this summer's going to go, but I ended up making like some of like, you know, my really good friends even to this day. And I got to learn like so much about Thai culture and it's like one of my favorite places now. And I think like, those are the kind of things that like, you know, are really cool. And I love to talk about it. And I think that like, that was a really awesome like clinical experience to mention when I was interviewing. Yeah, that's amazing. So it sounds like the requirements are like things that they're looking for. Admissions committees are pretty much the same for medical school and podiatry, but you mentioned shadowing. So that's just to like make sure you're truly interested in it. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. Yeah, because you know, obviously when you go into podiatry, like it's kind of a locked and sealed thing. So you should definitely shadow a podiatrist before you apply to know that this is what you want, you know. Totally. Can you talk more about what life looks like after podiatry school? Is there like a residency program, fellowship, like, or what are the differences between medical programs and podiatry programs um, in that respect? Yeah, definitely. So um, it's like kind of similar how in medical school, like, you know, you do your rotations, your third year, and then you do like uh, audition rotations at different schools, your fourth year to kind of see like where you might want to go for residency. Yeah. So same thing, you apply for residency. um, And you, you also take like a boards, um, which is kind of a similar thing to like step one and step two, but they're the APMLE boards, like, and you do part one, part two, which is basically the same as like step one and step two. Of course, they will focus more on foot and ankle pathologies, but it is completely like, you know, about the entire body as well. And then after that, you go to a three-year surgical podiatry residency. Um, All podiatry residencies are surgical, which I thought was kind of, was really cool, you know, because it is a very like surgical and procedure based specialty. You don't have to do that ultimately in your career if you don't want to, but you, everyone is trained as in a surgical residency. And I kind of liked that it was to do a surgical residency that's only three years long. Like that's pretty unique, you know, usually in a lot of um, other surgical specialties, like after going to allopathic or osteopathic school, like they would probably be like five plus years, you know? So because we start learning about our specialty from like the first day that we start school, it is nice that like our residency kind of does get to shorten a little for, for what you get to learn, you know, in terms of surgery. And then, um, you know, as a practicing podiatrist, 
from what I've heard from everybody that I've talked to, you know, like, like I said before, like it is generally like pretty balanced kind of lifestyle, you know, and there's not much on call, um, but you can, you know, you can work in hospital, you can work in private practice. There are a lot of just, you know, podiatry groups, but podiatrists can also work in like multi-specialty groups, like with um, orthopedic surgeons, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can work in wound care, radiology, dermatology, you know, a bunch of different specialties. And there are also podiatrists that go and um, like consult for shoe companies like Nike and Adidas, you know, there are a lot of different things you can do with it, which I thought was really cool as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any idea what you might be interested in? I still have no idea, honestly. I think that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know kind of thing. Like I, I went in and I'm like, oh gosh, I there's so many different things that I could do with this that I didn't even know existed. That I feel like right now I just don't have enough of a basis to be like, oh yeah, this is it for me. Because I, I feel like I want to go into my rotations with like as much of an open mind as possible to see like, you know, what what really do I like and not just kind of go based on like, what other people are telling me since I haven't seen anything yet. Totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the same here. (laughs) Like I am currently trying to decide on a specialty. I'll be a third year in it like a few months. So I need to like really get on that. That's so exciting. That's awesome. Do you have like a, now that you've done a little bit of rotations, do you have like an idea of what you like? Are you still like kind of open yeah, I've, I've said on the podcast several times that I like emergency medicine, but I don't want to like lock that down because I don't rotate in that for another year. Okay, so okay, okay. I won't know if like I really like it. Um, and then I just got off my psych rotation a couple months ago and I really liked psych, but it's really hard to differentiate whether you actually like the specialty in just a few weeks or you just love the team that you're working with and you love like the kinds of patients, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I, when, when I was like, you know, back in undergrad thinking about going like allopathic or osteopathic, psych and emergency medicine were like some of the ones I was really interested in too. I think they were the ones that I had rotated in when I went to like this Thailand internship I just, I just spoke about. They're so cool and so interesting. So I think those are both good choices. Um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, podiatry school goes, like what the year breakdown is? Um, yes. So Podiatry school is four years long. So, you know, the first year and second year, you'd be doing didactic, doing all the general sciences. The first year is mostly just kind of general sciences. The second semester is when you start kind of getting into a little bit more of like specific foot and ankle. Um, You also start learning about things, you know, like physical medicine, rehabilitation, and like specific regards to the foot and ankle. And then second year is when you really start learning about foot and ankle pathologies. So that's like, And it's definitely the most like intense year, at least at Temple, that's kind of what it's known as. And so then second semester of your second year, um, you start to start preparing for boards, like boards part one. And then, yeah, so then after like kind of similar to what you were doing after boards part one, then you would kind of have a little bit of a break and then you start your rotations your third year. Got it. Okay. So you have two years of rotations? Yes, two years. And then fourth year um, is going to be like you travel all around the country kind of doing these like audition rotations for places that you might want to go to residency. And um, so that's that's basically like you would just kind of be all over the country at that point. Got it. Got it. Well, that sounds, that sounds really similar to medical school. So I feel like, you know, it's a pretty tandem process. Yeah. You're not like spending more years of your life or anything. Um, to go into podiatry. So yeah, exactly. it sounds like a super viable option for all the pre-meds out there yeah. listening. And it's relatively unknown, which I guess like now that I'm in it, I'm like, I wonder why, but 
you know, it was the same situation uh, in undergrad, like, you know, at UGA, I guess, specifically, it was never really something that was, like, talked about ever, so. Totally. Um, can you talk about what a typical day looks like for you? Just, like, walk us through, you know, how many hours you spend studying, like, how much time you're at school, um, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, usually our classes start around 8 a.m., and I'm, like, a big morning routine person, so I always like to kind of have, like, you know, time in the morning to really like pump myself up and then a time at night to wind myself down. So I find like that I usually wake up around like 6.30. I really like to have like a slow morning. So I usually try to get in like a little bit of time to just slowly get ready and slowly like review kind of what, what I'm going to be learning that day in class. I think that really helped me was just kind of looking over like what topics we're going to be talking about. And then I walk about like a mile or so to school so I think like that was always good. Like I love listening to my podcast, going and picking up like coffee or tea and um, just having that time as like for myself and just to be like, just kind of like preparing myself for my day. And yeah, like, like I said, podcasts are a huge part of my morning routine. I love podcasts. And then usually at school, you know, I think I'm a big per- like advocate of going to class. Personally, that's just what's worked best for me. I think that for me, like going to class, trying to be attentive, uh, learning as much as I can while I'm there has really helped me like cut down the time it needs to review afterwards. And so I try to go to class, like, you know, shut off my phone, shut off all my notifications and just totally be present there. And then class will usually go up until like, you know, like two or three that day. And, um, I would say that like, I I come home and I usually like eat right away. And when I, for myself, like whenever I'm eating, having a meal, like that's my time to not study. That's my time to unwind. I just put on a show or I or listen to a podcast or talk to my mom. Like I know I don't like to study while I'm eating at all. I totally feel that. <laughs> yeah. It's like my sacred time. And then after I get home, that's when I usually will start reviewing like what I learned that day. So that's kind of like my second pass at everything. And so like while I'm going through my notes, I'll start to make like a condensed kind of like study guide, like incorporating the notes I took in class like what plus what's on the PowerPoint and make it just super condensed like I feel like the biggest study thing for me now is just like how can I like condense condense this material into like smaller and smaller and smaller like digestible chunks that like and when I look at this later on maybe to study for boards maybe you know on clinicals like how is it all going to just be like concise and make sense and I really try to like think about that as I make my study tools when I'm going that like if this is something that I, you know, need to use later on, like, what would I want my past self to have done? <laughs> and totally. Oh my gosh. Game changer for me was like making one page summaries. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> like, just like you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Those are literally my saving grace because I feel like, you know, the day before an exam when you're just like, you know, reviewing the last thing in the world I want to do is like, look at like a hundred slide PowerPoints. I like, just want to look at that, like one page summary and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I know. Like, the biggest points and I know like my weakest points that I need to work on. Totally. And then, and yeah, so I, then I usually like try to make study tools as I go. And even though sometimes, you know, this does take a lot of effort and like energy, but I just try to remind myself that like, this is going to be so helpful for me later on when I'm trying to like review for this, for this test, even if it's not for a couple of weeks, I prefer not to like make all these study tools later on. I just want to do it as I'm reviewing and as I go. And then, yeah, usually, you know, I study probably like four to five hours a day, like uh, outside of school. And then, you know, on like good weeks when I don't have a lot of tests, I always try to get in like some kind of exercise. 
me and my roommate, we started um, like doing yoga this past semester. Of course, until like coronavirus happened, but that was a really great thing for us to just unwind, like, you know, have something to do together. And, uh, and like I said, I think like having a night routine, like just something to kind of unwind and what, whatever that may look, look like for you is, is really important too. I, I try my best not to like ever study like the moment until I go to, I, till I go to bed, just cause I find that like it leaves me like a lot less stressed and just like have like a better night's rest, you know? But, but yeah, generally I think like just the biggest thing in like a day to day is just trying to keep up with the work. I feel like that's like the basis of like all of all success in medical school is like if you can really just keep up with that work then you can really start to incorporate all these different like efficiency hacks and time you know management stuff is like is is really if you've kept up with what you had learned that day or like that week you know so totally yeah a lot of people you know say that med school is a full-time job and it sounds no different like medical podiatry school is absolutely no different you know, I also am like always a huge proponent of like always try to keep up like your hobbies and like things you like to do outside of school. You know, like I'm not saying that, you know, every single day I can just go out and, you know, do all these hobbies and it's just perfect. But, but in general, I think that, you know, like find time on weekends, like on night on weeks where you don't have a lot of tests, like do things that you like to do that are like outside of work and outside of school. Like, you know, I really love to paint, like play the guitar, like, you know, I do all these things that like, even if I can just do it and, you know, like reading, like if I can just do it for like 10 minutes, like, you know, once a week, like, or, you know, if I can do it like more times a week, that's great. And I think that's like so important for all of our sanity. Be like, I am a person outside of all of this too. Like, yeah, of course we can feel really great, like getting good grades on tests and, and that, and that is really, really good. But at the same time, like, that's not our, you know, that's not what our whole entire, like, idea of success should be defined by. Like, after, after I graduate, I always try to think about, like, after I graduate medical school and I look back, like, what am I going to wish that I did more of? I know I'm not going to be like, man, I really wish I studied more hours. <laughs> you know, like, I think I'm going to wish that, like, you know, I kept up with my guitar. I kept up with my painting. I kept up with old friends. Like, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to wish I did more of, you know? And so I try to keep that in mind throughout, like, my daily and, like, weekly routines. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I did want to ask, because you are a fellow brown girl, white coat, <laughs> um, what are some struggles you faced in the field of podiatry as a woman of color? Has that really had an effect on your learning or um, your journey so, at all? So, you know, <laughs> I feel like we always have like a, like a funny perspective on this because, you know, it's like, as a brown person, like we're not really a minority per se, <laughs> but at the same time, like totally. obviously like it is different, you know, and there, thankfully there are a lot of other like brown people in my class, which is nice. Um, so I haven't felt too much of like a disadvantage or anything per se, but I would say that like it is, podiatry is only recently becoming more like a, of an even like popular option, if, if you could even call it popular, you know? because it's, it's relatively still unknown, but I do think, you know, obviously like more brown people are becoming more attracted to it, which means it is gaining popularity somewhere. Um, but I think like all the older podiatrists are mostly, you know, like Caucasian. There's not really too much diversity in like our clinical professors, which that's kind of interesting to see that like there really is like such a generational difference in like the in the culture represented in podiatry and I'm kind of and I'm like happy I think like in my class there are a lot of different you know 
different ethnicities, which I think is super cool. And I definitely like, don't feel like, you know, anyone's putting me at a disadvantage for that. If anything, I think it's really cool that like, there's actually like, like so much diversity and not just, yeah, I find that even, you know, like attending clinical rotations, most of the like comments that get made or like assumptions that get made come from patients or come from people who might not know too much about the medical field. So I, I have yet to face any, you know, crazy things from my own classmates or my own professors. But when you get out into the clinical field, I think you'll feel it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. That's so true. I guess it's like, I have, I have a very like limited perspective, I guess, still because I haven't really had any like patient interactions yet because that doesn't really start until next year. So that's, that's true. That's a really good point. Yeah. Okay. I want to know also, how is COVID-19 affecting your education right now? How is it affecting podiatry as a whole? Um, if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, of course, like all of us, we were, you know, forced to be online since like March, which is obviously like really devastating and really sad because, <clears throat> you know, I think first year is really a time to like get to know all of your classmates and, and like second semester, first year, um, I guess at, at least at Temple is like kind of a more, a more chill semester. So it was kind of sad to be like, oh, like our one kind of, you know, more chill time, we won't get to be here and like be hanging out and doing like, you know, class and group things. So I was definitely like super bummed about that. And, and you know, of course, like I think that online learning definitely is not the same as being in class and really getting to like interact with your professors and I feel a lot more comfortable asking questions like in person, personally. And, um, but you know, then you feel kind of like, well, I can't really complain because, you know, I'm still getting my degree on time and I'm still able to like complete my requirements. So, you know, I try to like always keep that in perspective and I am like thankful for that. But of course it's been difficult to not have like, you know, that same kind of experience because like, you know, the whole kind of the best thing about being in school is that, you get to be with your classmates, you know, like that's, that's like the best way to make friends in my opinion is like when you're all kind of going through a common trauma, <laughs> like <laughs> a common trauma, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that, that part's been kind of sad because it is hard to, you know, connect with everyone through like Zoom and, you know, totally. group me and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of like, I know with our third year and fourth years, like, of course they're, clinicals are pushed back. Um, they still haven't gone back. And, you know, with fourth year, like doing rotations at other schools, you know, it's, it is going to be really different, not having that same kind of experience, maybe being there for less weeks or having your interviews that are online. Like, I'm sure that, you know, you've worked so hard to be able to like really go in person and like show yourself and, and really get to know them. And, you know, I'm sure that really does affect them too. And then in terms of just like, podiatry as a specialty in general, you know, and it is a really, um, what's the word? They're elect, sorry, elective procedures. Elective procedures. So naturally, like a lot of podiatrists, you know, are still kind of shut down because they're not totally necessary procedures and surgeries. But I do, you know, now that things are getting better, a lot of the people that I've talked to and like my professors and stuff are starting to, you know, go and see patients and more like full force again. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I hope things get back to normal, you know, or whatever the normal yeah. is going to be after this. Yeah. Soon. It's so weird to think about that, that like there might not ever be like a normal as we knew it, you know. Always. Which I think, you know, a lot of us, we need, like, there, there, we, 
we needed to like go through some of these things I think just to remember like you know we're all we're all kind of going through all these things together like you know it's not based on how much money you have and your ethnicity and all that like a virus is a virus you know and like I think that those are kind of good things to see in like our whole community like bringing people together and just reminding ourselves again like you know we're so lucky to have our health and like you know and make sure you do everything you can to like preserve that right so definitely so I always like to ask my any guest that comes on the show basically um what is your advice to pre-med students that are currently considering your career so I think that in general for like you know, in pre-meds, I think always, always, always keep an open mind and just don't care what other people are saying and doing and thinking, you know, and that's like also when you get into med school, right? Like it is so easy to get caught up in like, oh, well, like so-and-so says that this is the best and well, like so-and-so is doing that and they say that's the best. And, you know, like, you know, I'm sure that if I like, had learned about podiatry in undergrad, it would have, it would have been like, you know, no one had known about it. And because like people are skeptical of what they don't know about, it probably would have kind of veered me away because, oh, well, no one else is doing it. And if no one else is doing it, does that mean it's as good? You know, like blah, 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 blah. And it's so easy just to get caught up in everyone else's opinion and then forget like, Hey, well, this is my life. And ultimately like my decisions are going to affect my life, you know? And so definitely like, I would say, 100% you should, everyone should shadow podiatrists if that's what they think that they might be interested in and really like, really try to talk to as many people as you can and talk to people that are in, uh, you know, that are in podiatry and doing it and really ask about their experience and, you know, keep in mind things like lifestyle and like what balance looks like for you and like what, you know, do, do you want your um, career to be you know, have like surgeries and procedures, or do you not want it to, you know, all these things are really important to think about. While you might not be able to really understand like the nitty gritty parts of it all, think number one, just don't worry about what anyone else is doing. And number two is always, always, always reach out. Like you can't, you can't lose anything by reaching out. You know, if, even if someone doesn't reply, like you should all, I, I'm like a huge advocate for just always seeking out advice from people who are above you, you know, who, who know more than you do and really trying to like learn from that. Totally. That's great advice. Thank you for that. So I think we're going to end off the episode here, but thank you so much, Ash, for joining me today. This was a super informative episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to have been on. Yay. Hi, my name is Allison Task, and I am the host of Personal Revolution. Are you ready to be happy and do that thing you always wanted to do? Well, I am thrilled to announce that I have now made available for free the Personal Revolution podcast course. This course is based on my best-selling book, and it is now yours for free wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It includes 10 original episodes with plenty of never-released-before content, and then it includes a premium version. For $4.99 a month, you will get a customized workbook, you'll get access to a prior community on Himalaya, and you'll have just-in-time audio drop-ins from me again in the community on Himalaya. Just go to Himalaya.com, look up Personal Revolution, and type in Revolution to get your first month for free. I'll look forward to seeing you in the community.